Welcome to the I Believe Podcast, an Acure Insight production, brought to you by Castle Biosciences. I'm your host, Danae Peterson, a fellow ocular melanoma survivor. Here on the podcast, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatments, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Castle Biosciences is a proud sponsor of this I Believe podcast. Castle Biosciences tests are designed to provide clinicians precise and personalized tumor information for the benefit of patient care. If you would like more information about how Castle is transforming the treatment of eye cancer, visit castletestinfo.com. My name is Danae. I am your host with the I Believe podcast. And today I have with me Clay, who is also a patient with ocular melanoma. So just to kind of give you some background on how I stumbled across Clay's story, um, if you follow any of the Facebook support groups from day one of diagnosis, I feel like Clay has been in the Facebook groups. He's been very present on social media and just jumped in and been very, you know, just ready to take this on. Um, so just a little bit more about him on, before we hear about his ocular melanoma story. So most of his life has been a combination of communicating through arts and activism. Um, he was actually already working professionally as an illustrator by his senior year of high school in 1984. He was the staff editorial cartoonist at three newspapers before launching his own alternative political comic strip called Sidewalk Bubblegum, uh, syndicated from, let's see, myself syndicated from 1991 to 2001. So I'm assuming that was kind of like told from the point of view. Um, and he got involved in a television production program for about 10 years and he had several award-winning uh, community access television shows. The Bill and Clay Show was a sketch comedy and an animation show that he did for two and a half years. And um, he actually had his own weekly talk comedy variety show called uh, Yada Yada, and he did that for a year and a half. And then he did stand-up comedy every week for two years at the local arts venue in Santa Cruz, California, where he is from. Um, in the late 80s and early 90s, he had a band called Abnormal Growth, and they put out four albums and played in the Bay Area. I'm sitting here thinking, Abnormal Growth, was this like premonition? I know, it's prophetic, isn't it? Um, and he's been self-employed since 1998 with his own design business, uh, heavily focused on product packaging design. He's been a storyboard artist for 20 years. He's done work for Intel, Google, Discovery Channel, The Animal Planet, and Disney. Um, you're going to have to tell us what so we can find that and like watch your stuff. Um, and he is the co-founder of DRNX Adaptogenic Waters, an all-natural uh, sugar-free sports drink. And they just partnered with the NBA star Lamelo Ball. And he's been the president of Alamo Park Homo Homers Association for 20 years. And he has helped organize the residents uh, to purchase the Mogul Home Park in 2017. So, um, a little other side note about Clay, if you haven't seen any of his posts, he also surfs. And he, the picture that we posted ahead of time for his interview was a self-portrait that he took at what, like 4.30 in the morning on the beach? Yeah, like it was beautiful. Um, so if you haven't taken a look at that photo, I hope you will. You can find him, just so we can make sure that, to tell people, you can find his, his photography on uh, Instagram with, uh, it's the twilight.ninja, right? Yeah, twilight.ninja. Okay. All right, well... Believe it or not, the Twilight Ninja was taken. Yes. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, Twilight. Curse Twilight you. Dot Ninja. It's great. Um, well, Clay, we are yeah. thrilled to have you here today. And I want to go ahead and just kind of let you take it away and just tell us a little about your diagnosis and your treatment, um, what you chose to go with, and what's going on now. Okay. 
Um, some of this is on hindsight because after you get your, after, once you figure things out and they go, hey, you have a tumor, then you start thinking back, right? Oh, what was that flashing? I remember I saw some flashing or something like that. So on hindsight, I was, this was mainly when I was surfing for a couple weeks before New Year's Eve, where we, it was mostly diagnosed. I'd be surfing at night and I would feel like there was water in my eye and I'd keep rubbing it like that. And I just thought maybe my hood was leaking or something like that. Cause when I got out of the water, it would clear up and I'd be fine. So I didn't think anything of it. You know, it's like, Oh, I guess something's leaking. Um, the day before new year's, I had planned to go surf like at 7 PM after the sun went down and I'm watching television and I noticed the left side of the television screen is just blurry. just doesn't look right. So um, I went like this, right? I'm like, geez, these look different. So I went in the kitchen and I told my daughter who just, I said, just stand in the middle of the kitchen. And I look with this eye and everything's perfect. And then I look with this eye <laughs> and it was like a funhouse mirror because her head shrunk like 30%. Just went whoosh. But her shoulders were the same width. Her body was the same width. It's just her head got small. I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. And I, so I kept doing that back and forth. And then I noticed the color cast was different. So it looked like uh, like daytime film, if you remember film photography, without a flash taken in a, so it was yellow. And it was a little fuzzy. I'm like, this is really, really weird. So... I was going to go surfing anyway. I figure I'll just deal with this tomorrow. I went surfing. It was a great session. I come back. Um, I told my partner. She was none too happy. She's like, what? You, your vision's going and you just went surfing anyways? I'm like, yeah. I was like, of course. <laughs> uh, so, um, but I'm not completely stupid. The next morning, I made sure I was first in line at urgent care at Sutter. And I they asked me what the problem was. I said, well, my vision's all messed up. It's all getting warped and blurry and color cast is wrong. So I saw the first available doctor. They couldn't really do much. It was just the available doctor took my blood pressure. It's like, I don't know. Uh, we'll bring in a, the ophthalmologist on call because this is New Year's Eve. So everything's closed. Just urgent care is open and all the departments are closed. Yeah, it was. But you know what? It was kind of. It ended up working out really well because I got like VIP treatment. So he said, I found out who's on duty. It's Dr. Kessler Diaz. She's great. Go home. She'll call you when you can come in. So I said, okay. So I waited an hour or so and she called me and said, hey, could you come in in like 20 minutes? I said, sure. So I get there and I go up to the third level and it's just dark there's nobody's there and so I waited and she showed up she says oh sorry I'm late and she took me into the office so I'm the only this is a one-on-one -on -one with the ophthalmologist I have the whole department to myself so she sits me down asks me some questions then she starts looking you know first just real just simple looking then she dilates my pupils and it was a very the deeper we got into the examination 
I could see by her body language and her breathing that her brain was on fire. She was looking at something because she was like adrenaline was going. So it's like, look up, look down, look left, look right, top right, we're up, top left, left, bottom left, bottom. We just keep going in circles. Then she goes this side. Then she goes this side. This just go. This is like ten minutes straight, dead silent. She's going, I, I, I. Next I go, hey, is everything okay? And she goes, shh, no talking. Oh my God. I'm like, okay, something sums up. So she gets done and she goes, okay, you have a retinal detachment. This is emergency surgery because you can go blind. You have to get, take this care of. She goes, I'll be right back. She comes back five minutes later and she goes, you're going to see uh, uh, Howard Chin. He's a retinal specialist at the Retinal Diagnostic Center in Campbell, California. That's over the hill from Santa, Santa Cruz on Highway 17. He says, you need to be there in two hours. Like, okay. And uh, so I called my partner. She was working out at the gym. I, I couldn't do anything. I was so radically dilated that when I made a motion towards the front door, it was just like snow blind. And then I lost my paperwork for my referral. I dropped it somewhere, and so I'm going up and down. I'm going through this whole empty clinic looking for my paperwork. I found it. She picked me up. Of course, there's an accident on Highway 17. We call him. Hey, we're stuck in an accident. We'll be there. Same thing. I get there before he does. He shows up, opens up the whole retinal digester just for me. Uh, takes me into a room. Same thing. Look up, look down, both eyes. But he then finishes and he kind of rolls back like this in his stool. And he goes, okay, you have a retinal detachment, but that's not the real problem. And of course, at this point, whatever comes out of his mouth is bad. Because if a retinal detachment, which can lead to blindness if untreated, is not the problem, I'm thinking, okay, what can it be, right? I have no idea. And he goes, it could be a big, you might be bleeding in your eye and it might be a pocket of blood. However, I'm pretty sure it's ocular melanoma. He must have looked, saw a look on my face because news to me is like, it's ocular, okay, it's eye melanoma, it's cancer, right? I mean, he didn't say cancer, he said ocular melanoma. They should, they should really lead with, they should just say eye cancer. Mm -hmm. And then define it. We refer it to, right, because you have to, like, brain's going, I'm parsing it out like it's Latin, right? Ocular, right, melanoma. So um, he, I, he goes, am I cancer? And he's like, yeah. And, um, and right away he goes, it's not your fault. It's not the supplements you took. It's not your surfing. It's nothing. We don't know what causes it. It's like 2,000 cases a year. It's very rare. But I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I will not know for sure until we do advanced imaging. I can't do it now because I'm the only one in the clinic and we need to run the machines. I'm like, I'm like okay. So um, he says, call my office, set up an appointment right away. So we jump in the jump in the minivan and we're <laughs> driving back up 17. And I just start laughing. <laughs> I, I look at my partner and I say, Boy, that spiraled out of control. 
I started off with like, hey, doc, I can't see very well to like, oh, you have a retinal detachment. You could go blind to like, ah, no, it's not that. It's cancer. So, so <laughs> I like your head spinning, right? I mean, I'm just laughing because it seems like a really, I felt like I was on a, uh, uh, one of those uh, really elaborate um, practical jokes shows like punked or something. Somebody's going to come out and go, ha, gotcha. Like, I'm going to wake it's up. All, this all is all just real, a joke right? dream. Like, it's fine. Really? It's 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 an out-of-body experience the minute you get the yeah. diagnosis. As soon as they say tumor, your brain just like slows yeah. down and everything warps. And it's just like, what? Exactly. <laughs> it's happening. So, oh, I forgot to mention one thing. So, the minute he said, you have ocular melanoma, first thing out of my mouth was, well, if we have to take the eye out, I'll be fine. So I was already there. I had leapfrogged into the future to a worst case scenario. Hey, if we have to take it out, it's no big deal. I'll be fine. I'll figure it out. So it was only when I got home and I did the Google thing. See, I was thinking cancer tumor in the eye you remove the eye cancer gone you're fine life goes on cancer gone i'm fine i didn't think of it beyond that i didn't know there was this whole other thing so i get on google and i start researching and i had to turn it off after about an hour because it's like drinking out of a fire fire hose of poison i mean you just it gets mixed up with skin melanoma the information's out of date and these are authority sites like Mayo Clinic and things like that, they're way behind. So I read 50% chance of metastasization, usually in the liver, no known treatment or cure, high mortality. So I'm thinking, I'm in a, this, I'm like right now in a coin toss moment. Do I live or do I die? That's because that's what they tell you. That's what you read online. You're going to die 50 50 chance. And they tell you it's 100% if they don't treat the tumor in your eye. Like they, they basically yeah, tell you, if you don't have this treated now, you will die 100%. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I was like, wow, that's pretty heavy. So that obviously brought my mood down and I couldn't see the doctor on Monday like I wanted because the insurance said you have to see him at the closest clinic. He had multiple residencies. So I, it went to Wednesday. So this is like Friday. Hey, if they think it's a tumor, we won't know for sure. That date is now on Wednesday. So it's five yeah, days. Yeah, which is it's great, right? Because you're like, you're sitting here thinking, I just received news. Oh, it's wonderful. And now I, you I love the suspense. To wait. Great. <laughs> like, also, Google just blew my mind and now I'm freaking out. Like, I know. So you're just stranded. You're just absolutely stranded. You have you have no idea what's going on. So I would start off in the morning feeling good. I would feel great in the morning, feel chipper and and this. Oh, another thing, the doctor told me, don't hit your head because that could tear. Right now, you don't have a tear in your retina, but that could tear it, and then you might never recover. You might go blind. So I just I said, what does that mean? What about surfing? He said. Just don't hit your head right now. Like, just be careful. I'm like, well, surfing surfing is a contact sport, but it's mainly with the water. And you can. Oh, yeah. If you hit, really if you hit the water hard enough, you it's impact. 
oh yeah, and, and and you get rattled. So I was like, okay, I guess that means no surfing for yeah, now. For at least a couple. So days. wasn't surfing, wasn't surfing, stewing on this coin flip that do I live or do I die? And then on the third day, it was in the evening. It was just the sadness was just building up. Not so much for myself, but I was thinking about my daughter. She just started college. And God, I may not see her grow up, and I can't see. It was, it just kind of built up. So I was feeling very sad on the couch. And when I'm sad, I usually go for a walk. So I took out uh, out of the house and started walking down the street. And I made it a block before I just started bawling. <laughs> All the emotions. And then a neighbor, a neighbor happened to be out by her out front. And she goes, are you okay, Clay? And I'm like, no, I have cancer probably. And it's like 50% chance I'll die. <laughs> and so we talked for like a half hour and I calmed down. And then I went, went back home feeling a lot better. And then the next morning I was kind of over with. Well, and it's, I think it's important to note that like, there's no way for, for anyone to get this diagnosis and not feel it. And you, oh, it you feel so it hard. and it doesn't matter if you feel it a year yeah. down the road or two days after right. diagnosis, or it lasts for a year and you sit in those feelings yes. for longer than some. I just want to point that out to some, to, you know, to, to some of you that, that there's, yeah. there's no right way to go through a cancer diagnosis. No. And so what, what was happening for Clay might have happened for you, but it might have happened on a different timeline. But this period, it's it's the grieving cycle where you're you're literally grieving life right. as it was and learning to accept life as it is now. And for us, that means accepting right. a ton of uncertainty and a ton of, well, we don't really have the answer about that. And that's hard. That's right. a challenging place to be, to constantly be told, well, actually, I don't really have an answer. Like, oh, you know, you... Like for me, like you got a class two diagnosis, like, well, are, are you going to be okay? Like, I don't know. I can't tell you that. Like it's, it's right. one of those, one of those, we just don't know for sure. And, um, sure. but I think just, I just want to point that out that like, you know, as good as yeah. Clay is doing right now, I personally, and I've talked to a few different, you know, a few different therapists. We've got Katie, uh, Wilson, who is a therapist as well with ocular melanoma, who studies resilience. I believe that the resilience is found because you process the emotions and because you feel everything that's happening at the time of the diagnosis, you know, however you process things, you have to process it yes. in order to be able to get to that place of living and, and feeling like you're really yeah. living your life, not scared of cancer all the time. Yes. Yeah. I think the sooner you, the sooner you embrace it and just let yourself feel it, it's okay to just this is screwed up. This is terrible. This is bad news. There's nothing good about this. I may die. I don't know what's going on. It's okay. I, I tend to process things really fast. So three days of sadness, a good cry out in the street. And then I was fine after that. I was like, okay, time to move on. Uh, waiting for my appointment on Wednesday. So I go to my appointment on Wednesday. This is, it's kind of in the afternoon actually. It was a late appointment. And I'm getting all the big machines where they take pictures of your eye, both with contrast and no contrast. So they inject you with the, right. And um, so we go back into his office and he shows me the images. And when you have a tumor that's the size of mine, 
you know, mine was about 15. It depends on where you measure it. It's 14 to 17 millimeters across by uh, six to seven millimeters deep. And I'm like, wow, that's like the size of my thumbnail. And uh, I just look and I said, wow, you don't have to be a doctor to know that's a big tumor. And he goes, yeah, it's a pretty big one. And he goes, this is what's happening. The tumor, yes, is pushing out your retina, but it's the liquid that's leaking out of it. And it's drifting towards the center of your vision, and that's when everything Distorted gets... Distorted and crazy. fuzzy and weird and warped. And you probably notice when you lay down or sit up, the distortions are different. I said, yeah, it is. It's actually better after I've been up for a while than when I lay down, I lose some of the top part of my vision. Because that's... Yeah, that's so interesting. ...going around. So, um, he goes... Uh, you need to go to, I go with, there's two, uh, there's two great ocular melanoma centers. There's UCSF and there's Stanford. I said, well, I know Stanford's covered by insurance for sure, so let's do Stanford. And it's closer. He goes, okay. So he goes out in the hallway, yells to everybody, get Stanford on the phone before they close, right? 15 minutes. He comes back and he goes, here's going to be your doctor, Dr. Murthy and Jaya, which I can say now. Couldn't in the beginning. It took a while. So he goes, he's a genius. He's a big shot. You'll you'll get to know that later. So, of course, I have to go look at his bio right away when I get home. And, yeah, he's the real deal. So I go, oh, I go, what do I do now? And they go, nothing. They'll they'll call you, and this is going to be great. You're going to be well taken care of. I said, okay, fantastic. There was only one glitch, though. I leapfrog. On New Year's Eve, a big process. I checked myself in at urgent care, which led to the unco- uh, uh, um, the retina specialist, um, ophthalmologist, oh, yes. the ophthalmologist, who then referred me to the retinal specialist, who's now referred me to Stanford. I get a call from Stanford and says, "Your primary care physician needs to approve." This. You're like, "Wait, hold on," and I'm laughing. I'm like, "What has he got?" He has nothing to do with this. He doesn't even know this is happening. And um, they go, well, it's just kind of how it goes. So that was a whole moment of stress because as my appointment got closer, they still hadn't gotten the approval. And I got stuck in this phone tree and I couldn't talk to my doctor directly. So eventually I got so pissed off. I jumped in the car, drove halfway across town and showed up at the office and said, I'm not leaving until you approve this. And they did and got it in there and I was able to go to go to Stanford. Stanford, fantastic. Wow. I mean, world-class facility. You just everything goes really quick. Um four different scanning machines uh plus an ultrasound. And uh ultrasounds I'm sure most of us have had it, who've gone through this, but you know, they it's numb your eye and then they have a, st- yeah, they have, it's like a, it's almost like a pen, pen when they put gel on it and they go up, down, up, down. And it actually doesn't hurt. Actually, it's, it's maybe it cold, felt, but that's, it felt good. I personally, it was a relief because I was hot anyways from just the adrenaline of going through this, that it was like, Oh, this feels really good. So, I go into the office. He has all the photos, all the ultrasounds, everything. I'm talking to Murthy and Jaya right now. And 
a cast of support people because it's a teaching hospital. So everyone has to look at my eye. You're a celebrity now. It's great. <laughs> hey, it's fun. I, I don't mind being experimented. But yeah, so there's always people learning at the same time. So I talk to him. And anyways, he sits me down. And he goes, okay, here's the deal. Uh, clearly have ocular melanoma. So your tumor would be classified as like large, medium, or small, large. It's right on, right on the edge of this kind of arbitrary cutoff point. I mean, it's not really, they had to cut it off somewhere. So he explains to me the options. This is the first time I'm really getting it a lowdown. And he goes, okay. So the, uh, the first option is uh, radiation. And explains it's a little plaque and they sew it on. Goes with the location of yours, we may have to take off one of the muscles to be able to pull the eye back, to get it back there. So where was yours it goes located, because just for reference? Was it on the uh, right? Uh, uh, here's the eye right okay. here. Came down from the top. It was uh, less than five millimeters from the center okay. of vision. So it comes right down from the top. Um, he goes, uh, you've got a lot of things going on. You've got a retinal detachment. You've got fluid built up. The tumor is big and it's less than five millimeters from your center of vision. We do the radiation. You'll probably never even be able to read a headline of a newspaper in a best case situation. Yeah. Worst case, you go blind. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I consider that yeah. blind. At that point, I almost considered myself blind, even though I was hovering around technically 2070 at this point. It's not like people hear that and they think, oh, that's not far off. It's, but it's, it's not, not like not a helpful. perfect degradation. It's not a perfect degradation. It's just like slightly blurry. At this point, I had a wavelength mm -hmm. going through my vision. So everything was pinched. Like every door frame looked like this. It would warp in and it would scoop that's down. so bizarre. And, and when I operated with both eyes, I had double vision and because their brain's trying to combine bad eye with good mm -hmm. eye and it gives you yes, terrible gives vision. You all kinds of crap. So I was like, <laughs> like what? And he goes, yeah, and very high chance you'll have glaucoma and cataracts because of the radiation and the damage. And I go, what's the other option? And he goes, uh, we take the eye out and I'm like, Oh, like, this oh, sounds that's much easy. easier. <laughs> I said, I just want to live and get on with my life. I like things to be simple. I don't want to keep coming. I don't want to just, so let's take that sucker out. And he literally said, amen. <laughs> Which he was, he was telling me what he thought I should do without really telling me because they're not allowed yeah, to tell you. Sure. He just gave it to me. Straight. Yeah. He knew I could handle at that point. So I'm like, okay. I said, why would anyone do the radiation? So now I'm baffled, right? Radiation, probably go blind, pain in the eye, big disaster. Or remove the tumor, get on with my life, and everything's fine. And uh, ex except for, of course, the scans. But that's what we all have to deal with, right? That's ir irres irrespective of how you deal with this. We all got the scans and we all got the chance of metastasization. So that's kind of off the table, right? That's everyone's baseline. I said, why? And he said, well, it's like a personal decision uh, for a lot of people. 
it's it, keeping the eye at all cost, the, the just the physical eye, forget about the vision part, um, makes them it makes them happy because losing a body part would be too traumatic for them. So they'd rather have a blind eye and these medical problems just to have their eye. I, I still I still can't wrap my brain around it because I don't think that way. Um, and I'm sure people don't understand the way I think either. But um, I'm like, well, let's get this sucker out. Let's make an appointment as soon as possible. I'm, I'm ready. Let's do this now. So he got me in pretty fast. And I said, I guess I can surf now because I don't have to worry about my retina. Right? He goes, yeah, go for it. So I went surfing again. And... Um, and so I knew I was getting the eye taken out. So here's kind of an inflection point. So I have a clear path now, getting the eye removed. I'm going to be one-eyed pretty soon. Maybe in, at this point, it was maybe four weeks. So I'm like, I got four weeks to get this down. So I immediately went out and I bought an eye patch at the, uh, this is my first eye patch. I went to the, I went to the pharmacy, I bought an eye patch. And I put it on and just just started my day. I, I, I did some errands. I went shopping. I visited my mom. Then I visited a friend. And then I came home. Well, I walked along, I walked along the beach. Then I came home. I said, Rose, Rose, here, take this ball. And we're going to throw it back and forth in the living room. So because I was like, can I do this? I, I was instantly wanted to test what my capabilities were with one eye. So she's throwing it and you know it came faster than I was used to. Just like when I was driving, the cars seemed to come faster than I was used to, but I was handling. I caught it every single time. I went, wow, catching a ball, driving, shopping. What else is on the list? Oh, I'm gonna go shoot the sunset tonight. So I got my camera gear, went to the beach, shot till it got dark. Climbed back up the cliffs, drove home in the dark. Like, oh, that went really, really smooth. So I'm anxious to get back into surfing. Now, at this point, the eye functions enough that it may be a slight advantage surfing just for the peripheral vision. But I'm like, I got to know now and I need to start. This is what I kept telling myself. I cannot take the easy way out. I have one month to nail this. I have to find out now. And if it isn't working, I have to make it work. Because I don't want to wake up from surgery and have to learn it then while I'm recovering. That made no sense. So I got to learn now. So I wore the eye patch, even though sometimes a little frustrating. Oh, for sure. Like when I was parking, when I... You know what the hardest thing was? Parking the minivan in our driveway, we have one we have one foot between the awning post and the stairs. It took me three days to figure it out. I would I would hit the I, I would err on the side and I would hit the stairs, which is the better choice than the awning post. You have to just I'm like I'm gonna get this. If I have to hit on the one third thing. day, oh, on the third day, nailed it. What it was is uh, I just had to find new reference points. Because the one I'd used all the time, my left side, gone. So I had to figure out what was close using just this eye. So on the third day, 
nailed it. And then it was fine after that. But it was funny. It was literally, that was the hardest thing on everything else. And then I went, I bought a pair of swim goggles. I've taken the tape off, but I blackened out the left frame with electrical tape. And then I waited for the sun to go down and I paddled out with my friend. And uh, Disclaimer, take see a how friend. This goes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I said, uh, well, we'll see how it goes. So the first wave comes, I catch it, and I ride it all the way through second peak. I kick back out and I have this big grin on my face. I start laughing. I'm like, did that just happen? I, I, I can really do this? I, I had to do it. I had to catch like three or four waves to convince myself it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't, I wasn't imagining it. I wasn't delusional, like just wishful thinking. I was like, wow, I'm really surfing no problem with one eye. Just like I always have. I just can't see who's on my left. That's all. So that's what I did. And I just started surfing every day at night like I usually do with this. Um, because it was really important that I master that before I had my eye taken out. So by the time I had my eye taken out, I was already, emotionally, I was comfortable with the decision on New Year's Eve because the first thing out of my mouth was, well, if we have to take the eye out, we take the eye out. I was already mentally prepared for that. So when I decided to do it, I'm 100% on board and let's, let's do this. I'm, I'm tired of it. It's a junk eye at this point anyways. The vision's Well, terrible. and you've already practiced so, without the vision and you know that it, on some level it's better. <laughs> like... It is because you know what? I always, even though after I mastered all my tasks, I still wore the patch because if I tried to do stairs with both eyes, because I was getting ghosting and this shifting, like this, I couldn't confidently tell where the rocks or the stairs were. So I'd be like, like, like I was really old and, 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 and frail, I'd, I'd, I'd be really cautious. And then I'd just go like that, and I'd just run right down them. I'm like, well, this is, life's going to be great when I get rid of this because I'm, done, I'm, I'm tired of it, and I don't like wearing an eye patch. So to me, it was a huge plus. No more eye patch I don't like wearing, and um, this eye's great. So it's going to be fine. So... Um, so... The day I was, the oh, no, go ahead. So, I was yes. going to ask you a question. Um, just in preparing for a nucleation, I know just before we had talked, you kind of mentioned just the day yes. leading. Uh, I think it was the day of the oh, surgery and yes. how you felt that morning. I just wanted you to touch on that. I will do that. So I could tell that again. So that's my daughter. Um, I could tell as I was approaching the date that the weight of the decision was I was feeling it because this isn't an accident. I didn't like get hit in the eye. I am opting to have my eye removed out of my head on purpose. Now I have good reasons for that, but there's no getting around how heavy of a decision that is. So as I got closer, I could just, my productivity just I was hardly working. I was just, and I told all my clients and they're like, Hey, don't worry about the deadlines right now. Everyone was great. Don't, don't worry about anything. So the week before my surgery, I just completely cleared my schedule. I was just going to surf, work out, visit family and friends, eat my favorite food, watch television. I was not going to stress anything. 
And that was a really smart move because I can't imagine still dealing with life's deadlines and stresses all the way up to surgery. You need, you need some space. So I gave myself that space just to feel what I would feel and just not do anything. And then the day of my surgery, I got up really early like I did, like 3.30 a.m., and I paddled out. I got a message from Nobody you at 3 showed up. this morning again. I was like, oh yeah, he gets up this early. <laughs> I've been I I've been up for I I've been up since 3 a.m. This is a long day for me. <laughs> so um so it was weird. Nobody showed up. I was not even not even the other night surfers all by myself. I surfed for like an hour and a half. It was great under the stars, it was beautiful. And then I got out. I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna lift weights. Two things I love to do. So then I go home and I work out for an hour with weights. Now, and then I had to stop drinking. Of course, you can't eat, but that's normal. I exercise fasted anyways. But no drinking after 9 a.m., mm-hmm. I think. This depends on the time so of your surgery. right for 9 a.m., yeah, big glass of salt water. Get my electrolytes, get all set. And then um, took a shower and then we jumped in the car. And we drove there, and uh, I felt fine, except my partner told me I didn't look fine. She goes, you were mentally, you were just checked out. You were just somewhere else, and uh, I could tell by you were shaking your leg or whatever. She could just tell that I was... You, could, you were feeling the it. Adrenaline was flowing, no. and I was feeling it. So, But I felt fine because I knew this was the right thing, and I was totally comfortable with my decision but there's another part of you that's still well, yeah the the human part of you that knows like somebody's gonna be coming at your <laughs> face part. with a knife like yeah i do have i do i do have that like, human part it is, it is a little bit of a normal response i think it is so but i thought i was like fine and she was she's like, like fine for you like, is relative i see something it's all relative. so <laughs> i get i get out of the car and she goes uh i'm like okay uh, I said, oh, take a picture of me in front of the, you know, one of my before picture. I took my before picture. And uh, I was like, okay. And she's like, no hug, no kiss. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should do that. <laughs> Again, checked <laughs> out. She's not allowed in, yeah. right? On on At these surgery centers, no no visitors. You just like, so I just walk in there. And they say, welcome, Clay. And they take me in. And they give me a smock. And they take all my stuff away. And I'm in a throne because uh, for eye surgery, it's a special uh, bed. Mm-hmm. So it's more like a big throne and it has a half donut oh, nice. here. And so I'm just kind of sitting upright and uh, they come and they mark my, <laughs> mark so I'm also eye. wearing my eye patch. <laughs> yes. And I'm wearing my eye patch because I just, that's how I get around now. I just always wear my eye Well, you patch. spent four weeks so practicing with they, it. Like, you're used to it now. Exactly. Yeah, it would be weird to, to it, would be dis, it would be disorienting to take it off. So they come, two doctors, ask me a bunch of questions. They sign me off. They put a purple dot right here. And uh, uh, the anesthesiologist comes, lots of questions, a whole series of eye drops. It was weird. I, I got like four different eye drops at different intervals to prepare me for something. <laughs> like and, what? I uh, don't know because I was asleep. So 
I, I was like, I was awake the whole time, just sitting like this. And they go, okay, it's surgery time. And they just start moving my throne. <laughs> and I'm and, I, and like like this, and I go like this, and then I go like this, and then poof, the doors open, and I go in there, and there's like ten million dollars worth of equipment. I I can't even put a price tag on this. Three sixty view. I mean, it's just completely around me. Just machines I've never even seen. I just know they're expensive. My tumor is up on two giant monitors. So there's everyone's there. Doctor Ruthian Jai is there, and, and all of his people, his assistants, another assistant, people. the <laughs> anesthesiologist, two backup, two anesthesiologists in training, nurses, nurses in training. It's a packed room, and uh, I'm sitting there like this, and they're like. This is Clay Butler, and he's here for a nucleation in his left eye. And everyone's does does everyone agree? Like, yes, this is what we're doing yes, today. I still consent. <laughs> I still I still have my patch on though. It's funny. I shouldn't have my patch. So then they go, okay, and they take me down like this, and they go, okay, we're gonna give you some anesthesia, and you'll just slowly drift out, and you put on the oxygen, you'll breathe, push out, breathe, and you know, and I was like, I wonder how long I can fight this. Why not? Right? What's a few more minutes? So I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm like, I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to fall asleep. And then next thing I know, I'm waking yeah. up. It's such a weird, <laughs> it's such a weird experience. It's such a weird because you, even if you consciously think, I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to fall asleep. It just happens. And then and no, that's I remember it. telling the so, nurses in my, my room, they were like, okay, we need to do this. And then I, I, I told them, I'm like, Dr. Curley said she wanted an ultrasound of my eye first. And they were like, oh, okay. And they got the ultrasound tech and I went to sleep and I woke up and that was it. Like that, that's the last really? thing I said to them. We were in the operating room and I was like, don't forget to do the ultrasound because you seem to be forgetting to do the ultrasound. Wow. Um, but So I wake up like everyone yeah. else does with somebody whispering your name. I have a feeling they just keep trying until, yes, you, until respond. you respond. I don't think it. I don't think it's this incredible coincidence. Um, I don't know how many times it's like Clay, Clay, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm awake. Anesthesiologist did Mwah. perfect job. I brought me out of anesthesia. I was awake. And I said, "Well, uh, I'm thirsty," and uh, and and they brought me a big glass of water. Go, 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 go. Another one, please. Go, 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 go. I go, where's my, where's my, where's my stuff? And they go, it's over here. Can you, I said, can you get my camera? And they go, yes. I set up my camera. I said, here, just press the button. <laughs> Hold my glass. <laughs> my I'm picture. still drugged out. Here we go. <laughs> I just got this grin, huge grin. I just like so wasted. I'm like, <laughs> and um, so, and I said, I got to go pee. So I get up, I'm going to go pee, come back. So I'm done. Let's, let's go. I'm ready to go. And I said, okay. And they bring the wheelchair over. They have to. And I get in the wheelchair, and they're wheeling me. And they take me to the van, which is waiting me outside. And uh, they start like trying to take down the sides. I just jump out. I just just jump forward out of the chair. I'm like, let's, let's open, up the, open up the van door. I throw my back cushion in, my stuff. I said, let's go. And so we drove home, and I ate a bunch of food. Uh, went to bed early, woke up at midnight starving, had a peanut butter sandwich and a glass of milk with chocolate protein powder in it, and then just kind of walked around the neighborhood, clear my head, and then went back to bed, 
And then we left at seven, I think, in the morning because my follow-up visit was literally less than 24 hours a day. So I had my eye taken out on the 22nd in the afternoon, early morning, 23rd is my follow-up visit. So I have, you know, we all got that big yes, patch goes over all here. across. As the whole, as the whole, under, yes. So he goes, uh, so Ruthie and Jai's there. And he goes, well, let's see what it looks like. And he takes it off. And he goes, okay, look left, look right, look up, look down. And he remarks, he motions to my partner. He goes, look, it's, it's already moving. And, uh, and I don't really feel much. Uh, it's just so, you know, weird. So I'm like, oh, cool. I mean, I could feel a little bit of tugging. So he goes, I'll see you in one week. So I'm like, okay. And then he, oh, he also trained my partner how to put in the uh, ointment, antibiotic ointment and the drops. Um, it's, you can't really do it yourself in the beginning. You kind of need some help. I think that's, that's so classic that across it. the board for most, I think either plaque or enucleation. You have eye drops, you've got antibiotic drops and you can't really do them yourself for a while. N no, because you go like this and it's completely out of your vision. You're like, I, I, I don't even try to look at the mirror and I would need my glasses and so um it was it was rough see i didn't really feel any pain and my my eye was remarkably open first day the next day the kind of swelling and the pain hits after everything wears off right and the inflammation starts so it was only rough for about five days where i would wake up every hour and a half every two hours just because the pain and, uh, you know, I was taking Tylenol and taking my uh, Indica cannabis drops to kind of help slow my brain down and relax my body. And then around the sixth day, it's like a lot better. And then seventh day, and then the momentum picks up. And then you get out of that, I have trouble sleeping phase. And it's beautiful after that. It's, you know, it's a real, real relief. And then, so I had my one, and then I go with my one week follow up. I'm like, man, I'm healing great. I think this is going fantastic. And he looks at my eye and he goes, wow. Yeah, you're like a week ahead, at least, where you should be. This is looking really good. I'm like, I think I'm going to be ready to like work out and surf. He's like, no, 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 not yet. He goes, he goes, this, <laughs> slow down. He goes, I took great pains and effort to stop all the bleeding and, and cauterize all those blood vessels. He says, he said, don't mess up my work. <laughs> Go, Dr. M. Go, Dr. M. <laughs> he said, don't mess. I said, okay, I won't. So I come back. Uh, so this would be, then I had my follow-up after that was another week or two weeks or something. But I'm like, man, I'm feeling really good. I'm ready to, can I work out now? And he goes, yes. Uh what can I do? I do pull-ups. I work with dumbbells and things like that. Push-ups with the weight vest. He goes, uh, no push-ups. Well, because like everything you do can add pressure. Like, yeah. And I was getting feedback. We all do. Looking down those first two weeks, it feels like your eyes just gonna explode. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like it's gonna blow right. It's out a your very head. weird feeling. It's 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 a weird feeling. And of course, it's not really what's happening. 
but that's what it feels like. It literally feels like your eye is just going to blow well, up. Well, I mean, and just have major so surgery, he, it, you know, probably deserves a little bit of a break. Yeah. So he said, pull-ups are fine. Standing up's fine. He goes, don't try to break any records. Take it easy. He goes, trust me, I'm not stupid. I know my limitations. So so I, I think I started working out on the third week. Uh, fourth week, I was able to add push-ups, I think. And then by the time I was allowed to surf after the sixth week, which was mainly, it was really only about, at that point, um, uh, infection risk. He was worried about the infection because really, I was ready to surf at four weeks, for sure. Um, but I read what happens if you get an infection. It could really just destroy everything. I People have had to have their uh, orbital removed. Mm -hmm then the socket has to heal and then they put it back in. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to do this once. I'm going to do it right. Yeah, for sure. So I waited, I waited the full six weeks and then, uh, just started surfing again. I was like, welcome back. And it's been, been grand though. I will have to admit the waves have been frustrating and the crowds have been frustrating. Even though I start off really early in the morning, I'll surf, long enough until the crowd will start to fill mm -hmm. in so people all around me everyone's hungry some of these people from out of town they don't know right my friends are all like go clay you know they're like encouraging me they know i can't see on my left so i can't really once i'm committed to a wave i can't really look to my left to see if i'm dropping in well, on yeah, somebody you can't change your center of balance to look like no, there's no, there's, you can't, once you're committed towards the wave, you can only look so, I, you can't, if you were to turn around enough to really see, you're, you're going to shift your board and you're not going to, you're not going to make the wave to a certain point. So, but what I have noticed the last week, because the waves have been strange, fat, lumpy, crowds. I'm loving these words. <laughs> I've been, I've been, my level of fury and anger in the water has been off the charts. My friends are even, today they said, wow, <laughs> the anger in your text after you got out of the water was palatable. That was really, and, and, it, and one of my friends says, I think you have PTSD. And it's just, it, you're just releasing it in the water as this fury and anger if things don't go your way. And I thought about it, and I'm like, that explains a lot. Because I was chalking it up to this as like, hey, I missed a whole winter of awesome surf. While I was healing, the waves were all time for weeks on end, and I'm just watching it. And then when I come back, the waves aren't so good. So I have one eye, and I, I missed all the good waves during the winter. And so I am already feel like I'm playing catch-up. But the anger that I've been feeling this last week, the fury, just like like I'm ready to like fight. I feel like I want to punch somebody. It's like that is more than just missing out. That's a that's a that it's like it's so right now on land, the rest of the day I'm all smiles and stuff like that. I miss three waves in a row or somebody gets in my way. I, I, I'm at a hundred. I'm just like livid. And so now that I'm aware of it, now my friend said, hey, I think you have PTSD. And she kind of, you know, 
be more conscious. Well, and that awareness you know, piece he didn't say is that. He very didn't, important. Yeah, he didn't say be more conscious, but he says, you know, and it's okay. You're struggling right now, and we can all yeah. tell. It, you're not your normal self. So I'm like, okay, you know what? He's right. So I think tomorrow's going to be a lot better because I, I think I've identified really what I'm doing, and I'm raging against the world over this. Mm-hmm but taking it out specifically in the thing I love most if it's not going my yeah. way. Which is, you know, I mean, that's going to be something that you're going to, you're going to probably still keep working through for a little while. It could be a week. It could be a month. It just kind of, you know, it'll just depend. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be probably another week and then I'll just kind of get my act together. Well, and if it's okay. not, you know, give yourself grace. But I do want to point out maybe something yeah. that I hope can be helpful to you. When you, when you first were diagnosed and told you know, um, you told the, I think it was the ophthalmologist or maybe the retina specialist, like, Hey, just take it out. Like if, if the worst comes to worst, just take it out. Um, and then the week following or the weeks following your official diagnosis and Dr. Marithi and Jaya, like giving you like, okay, this is our date. This is the surgery. We're planning on this time. This is what you need to do to be prepared. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. Like physically all of the appointments, this flurry of like everything that's happening, what you focused on was not what am I missing you focused on what can I do and that was something that stuck out to me like so clearly like when you were talking and you talked about the eye patch and you talked about putting it on and running up the stairs you could have you could have spent that entire four weeks being frustrated and mad at the world that you couldn't see the right way and that you had double vision that you were gonna have to have your eye removed but you chose instead of asking that question what am I missing you asked what can I do with this instead Um, so I just, that's a question though, that could apply here. You know, like you have all of this anger, you could, you have all this anger. What do you want to do with it? Yeah. I think the problem is I'm a victim of my own success because I'm really not struggling at all. One-eyed living is grand. I don't, I mean, you never stop being aware of having one eye. Oh yeah. I I understand. Right. You just it it just feels different. It's just and there's things like, that jump out at you differently every time. Like one day it'll you'll be fine, oh. and then the next day something else will happen, and yeah, you're like, and then there's and the what just happened? <laughs> somebody just appears <laughs> like a magic act. People just appear right there, like oh. Well, and even the people that you even focus, the people you're close to, the people that you love, like your family, your friends, like they're familiar with it, but it's still not their lived reality, and because it's not what they live with, right. Sometimes they forget and it's not on purpose, but like, I know my husband will like walk up and I'll be doing the dishes and I'm, I'm blind on my right side. So I'll be like, you're here now. Like, hi. <laughs> I know. It just kind of, it kind of sneak in and you can't spend your whole life going like yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. At a certain point, you just assume that last time you looked over there, there was nobody mm-hmm. and you just like, it was probably. Well, but I, th- I guess I think so, it's important to, to notice here too you also, you adjusted really fast. Um, and so like you said, a victim of your own success, like in the sense that you adjusted really fast to one eyed living, but there's also this dual piece that you're allowed to be angry about that. You're allowed to have that frustration and to have felt the trauma that this whole last four and a half months of this year has been right. You've conquered it, but it's still allowed to have been traumatizing. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's funny. It's like, it's like, I guess I should, the way I should look at it is just like, what a luxury I have that I 
everything is going so well that I have all of this mental energy to bitch. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, oh, the waves weren't very good today. It was kind of soft. It's kind of sectiony. That means I'm doing so good. I mean, if I'm going to look at it just objectively, I'm doing so good that I'm past, oh, am I going to be able to surf? Will I be able to surf? Will I be able to catch a wave? I'm so far beyond that. I'm already back to complaining. About normal life. <laughs> about, about normal things. Oh, the, the, you know, we've got the south winds tomorrow. It's going to be blown. Well, Boo. And it's an right? awkward, and, uh, so, not an awkward feeling. It's, it's, it's a bizarre feeling, though, because I'm the same way with my kids. You know, I, I'm... Yeah. One day, like, I mean, I've been fortunate enough not to have any eye pain. Like, my eye has healed really well, even though it's blind. Like, it has healed really well, relatively. Yeah. And sometimes I'll find myself complaining or frustrated with my kids or just frustrated with normal little life stuff. And the part of me that knows and wants to be present and live fully feels guilty somehow, like, about getting upset because it's such a little thing in the grand scheme of things. I'm like, I would rather have 25 more or 50 or 80 years, 80 more years of being mad and frustrated at the little things than to be confronted with, you know, med- you know, Mets or, you know, having this eye cancer spread somewhere else and have to fight for treatment. Like I would so much rather deal with that, but like, I'll, so like there's that part of me that feels guilty, but then at the same time, I'm like, okay, but I'm only human. Like, I'm still going to have frustration. Yeah, I, 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 I feel it too. It's like, is this too soon to be such a pain <laughs> in the ass and ungrateful? <laughs> Shouldn't I be like, oh, I'm so grateful that I, it's all worked out. It's just like, eh, that, I got over that pretty fast. I'm back to my old self. Like, I'm happy all the... It's the whole thing. I have a happiness channel, mm-hmm. right? And a positivity channel that is always on. So even when I'm angry, I'm also happy because they're to me they're two separate things. You can be angry and fundamentally happy at the same time. So I largely feel happy pretty much a hundred percent of the time. I generally feel happy, full of life. Let's go, go, go! I'm never thinking. I'm just like let's just. I'm my whole life has been forward momentum, mm-hmm. right? Even when I was born my mom I, I fought her as a baby she wouldn't i wouldn't let her hold me she thought she was a bad mom because like why won't my baby let me hold me when i was six months old she comes into my room and i'm standing in my crib on my own and she's like oh <laughs> and then at nine months i was running and i don't know what i was running to but i'd had this drive my entire life this forward momentum i'm always like forward 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 the past something happened three days ago I have to think about, I almost have to think about what happened yesterday because I'm not even thinking about the past is, seems all there. And in the future, I only think about the future enough so I can achieve goals because you have to think somewhat in the future to achieve Mm -hmm. a goal. Other than that, it's just now, 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 now for momentum. So I, I can both be sad and happy, angry and happy, frustrated and happy. Because for me, I don't know how it is for other people, but happiness is a very uh, deep feeling that's not like, ha, ah, happy. It's not like that. It's, uh, what do you call it, like life satisfaction? Yeah, like a genuine contentment or, or, for life. With myself, yeah. with my body, with my life, with everything. I, I'm always square with myself. Yeah. 
and I always feel at ease with myself and everything's fine. So I'm always happy. Yes, I'm always sad. So I'm always happy, but I can, you can throw some sadness on top of it or some anger, some frustration, some, you know, just being appalled at something. Yeah, the normal stuff. But it kind of passes really quick and the baseline is, is like happy. Well, I love, um, that's just how I'm wired. I don't know if you've heard of Brene Brown, but she has, she has a quote that I've, I'm probably botching it a little bit, but she says, essentially, you can't numb the dark without also numbing the light. So I think that's, that's kind of that duality piece that, you know, you can be joyful and happy, but if you try to, you know, as a human being, if you try to stifle your emotions of feeling anger or frustrated or afraid or worried or whatever you're feeling, when you stifle those things, it also numbs the rest of your good feelings and it numbs that happiness yes. aspect. And so the challenging part <laughs> and the weird, impossible sounding part is that in order to be happy, to be present, to live your life, you have to accept the fear. You have to accept the sadness and the anger and you have to kind of allow them space at the same time. They go together. Like they don't exist without each other. And you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to have times where maybe you're in a a balance where one is a little higher than the other, but like, they're always both there. Those um, positive and maybe more difficult emotions are like always there. Um, so I do want to just kind of draw us back before we end. Yeah. You, um, you mentioned your nucleation, your treatment, and I know from just from reading your story, I know your history, but, um, what happened with a biopsy? I'm kind of assuming because your eye was enucleated, they did a biopsy. Um, what happened there and what was your response? Like emotionally, mentally, like what happened when you got the results? Well, I don't see, uh, to understand this, you have to understand how I view things. I'm totally comfortable with understanding that the odds are against me, but not also letting that be my destiny Mm -hmm. you can have both i i've never felt the need to have like this fake positivity and like convince myself it's just like it's okay it's okay to know it's like yeah this might not end well but for now we you know give it my (laughs) best shot right for now we it's going great right you can't it, it it's it's fine so i already knew from the beginning like with my vision i double checked what my doctor said I saw the charts and it's really easy. If your tumor is above this size, if it's closer to the center of vision, this, if it's detached, if there's this, your chance, you basically forget it, right? It's really obvious. I'm like, okay, that, that one's off the table. So I also knew that if you have a tumor this size, the very same thing that told me I would have, I'd basically be blind if I decided to treat the eye with radiation was also the same information that told me I'm probably class two prime positive. I would I would have been shocked if I wasn't because I read the odds. So I'm like, okay, it will probably be that. And then I get the results. And it's like, yep, that's what I thought. But you know what? It's still gut punch. It's it's funny how you know this is probably it. However, when you open, when I like, I, I get that confirmation. I, I use the, I use the, yeah, I, I use the Stanford uh, mm-hmm. app, right, for to, and I get to see all my yeah. test results and photos and everything. Castle does not screw around. Your PDF that they send you of your lab work 
class two is like in 72 point type. You just open it and you go, well, class two, there's no ambiguity at all. And then I read farther and then it said frame positive really big. So, and then there's a chart and it shows you 72% chance of metastasization, which is in five years, which is awful. However, that means 38% don't. I mean, not 38, 20. I was going to say, hold on. Am I doing the math 20. wrong? Because I yeah. like that math better. No, 28. <laughs> I like that math better, but too. But we can do 28. No, it's like 20. 50%. Yeah, it's like, so I was like, okay. And, of course, they don't know why. They, someday they'll parse this down to each individual person's genetics, their blood type, and they'll see. But right now, it's just we're all lumped in a group. If you're, pre, if you're class two, it's kind of like this. And I'm like, well, maybe it'll be the to a 28%, right? It won't be the 72. And I also know that every year this gets delayed, if I do have Mets, is a huge year in my favor because the advances are coming yearly mm. now. I mean, it's it this is a good like time to have like uh, to be honest, like just, yeah. just being so, heavily involved in some of the research communities, like yeah. it's it's so fast right now. So I feel both. I simultaneously go, wow, super unlucky. Uh, with this rare cancer, lost my eye, class two brain positive. Really lucky, forty minutes from Stanford. I've gotten the best care right from day one. This has been the best time. Right now is the best time to have this cancer. I mean, 10 years ago, it really was just going, eh, we'll see if you live yeah, or not. It's like, it wasn't. Throw the dice. We don't know how it. they're going to land yet, yeah. but like, you'll find out. Yep. Good mm -hmm. luck, right? And now it's like, oh, you can squeeze out a, you know, even in a bad situation, you know, you with right therapy, you might squeeze out two years and even even when things are going really bad so i'm like okay i'm not gonna die now and that's good enough because in the beginning it was just like i don't want to die now now i just have very modest ambitions like let's have no mets for two years give, give me yeah. get two years of breathing and just enjoying life before i have to start over again with another round of treatment which you know i just i would like a little breather which would be really nice but i totally understand see before this cancer i would read these reports we'd all read them in the paper and says this new magical drug um extends lifespan an additional six to nine months in people with inoperable lung cancer and i always think like six to nine months why is everyone excited about that that's like nothing now i'm like oh yes I get it. It makes I when your mortality would, is on the table, I, it becomes much more important for those six to nine months. It's huge. It's huge. If somebody told me, if I had Mets right now, and they're like, and it was like no prognosis of you're you're gonna die in two months, and they said, but we got this treatment that can give you an extra ten months, I would feel like I won the jackpot. I'll be like, I take it. I'll take anything. I'll put up with any side effects. I'll pay whatever it is. Let's just do it. I just want another day. I want another month. So 
yeah, it's funny. Now I, now I totally get it. The advancements for metastatic cancer is not for the general public. These announcements don't mean anything to anyone else. But when you have it, you're like, oh, yeah. And then the latest trials of, I can't remember, I get all the drugs confused. I think it starts with a T. Um, Tebentibus. Tephenomena. What was it, like 22 extra months or yeah, something? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, been, like it's been heavily studied and they're, they're now FDA approved as Kimmy, Kimmy, uh, Kimtrak. Um, with immunocore. That's it. Yeah, Kim, Kim track with immunocore. I mean, can you imagine going from like half it's hopeless of, to like? I think it's the estimate is roughly half of the population in the ocular melanoma community um, are HL, HLA O one O two positive, which is the the marker on your blood that allows it to be a drug that could actually work for you. Um, so get that blood work done if you haven't had that genetic testing done. Uh, I, I, I I I have to. I might as well yeah. know now because if if I'm not going to be allowed in any of these because it doesn't work with those genetics that I'd rather know yeah, it now know, rather exactly. than be, uh, than be told, I get all excited and they go, Oh, sorry. Like, sorry. This one is not going to work for you, but, this but there are so you. many other we'll options. We'll have something in like, two years. You know, like you said, there are so many other options coming up. Um, either newer trials. There's so many, uh, there's so many options. Yes. And so, like you said, this, this diagnosis sucks. But if there is a time, it does. if there's a time to have it, it's now because the research is really taking off um, and there it's getting more attention. Yeah. It's getting more news. Um, we're just continuing. It's, it's kind of like, um, have you guys, have you ever heard of the snowball effect? Like the, you know, the, you roll a mountain, yeah. you roll the snowball down the mountain first. It's, it's not very big it more snow. and it takes a while. You have to yeah. go a little ways down the mountain, but by the time it gets to the bottom of the mountain, it's got so much momentum. It's built up so much, you know, bulk to it that you can't stop it. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I like to err on the side of, you know, I would like, I would like to believe our snowball has gotten so big that nothing can stop us from finding a solution for as many people as possible. Uh, yeah. I think five years, I think five years ago, it's going to be a completely different mm -hmm. world. Yeah. Five, for, five years from now, it'll be, it'll be totally different. Five years. It's going to seem like Star Trek. I mean, it's really, it's really <laughs> maybe gonna we're so going to have robotic right eyes. Now. That would be great. <laughs> That one is still way off. They can't, they can't even get, get it, it to work, work in, in animals. No, it seems like once you sever that nerve, it's I know. just... Hence, and that was, uh, you know, just... I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but that was that was my reason yeah. for keeping my eye, is that my doctor felt confident right. in treating with plaque. I, she said I was probably going to end up blind, but that if I kept it, at least I would have an eye, and that if some advancement came into effect that they could do an eye transplant, I would be eligible. Um, and that was something that I was like, yeah. okay, well, I'll take that as long as, as long as possible. I'll take that in a year. I don't know. I might yeah. change my mind. I could, yeah, I could totally understand that. Yeah. It's just the more I talk to people, I, I, I can understand that one. I actually understand mm -hmm. the most, not the emotional attachment to a dead eye that doesn't function or the emotional yeah. part. I really understand though. Hey, maybe they can reverse this out in the future and I get a brand new eye with stem cells technology. Yeah, something crazy. That I, something awesome. I totally get. But but for me, I'm only thinking about... What's going to make my life easiest. Right and, now. And you also mentioned right? something so, about friction. You said you wanted to remove the friction in your life. Oh, yes. My life is all about... This is, this is how... Like, all my friends have at least eight surfboards. <laughs> They're all different... <laughs> different shapes, different sizes, different rockers, different thickness. Each one's like, oh, this is really good when it's kind of soft and it's two, three foot. This is good for the north swells. This one's good for sewers. This one's good for this. Da, da, da. 
but they're always complaining about the board they picked. So they're like, oh, I should have brought my 6-2. This one's just a little too fat or just this, or this one, I need more rocker. I literally have, I found a board I liked. It's an epoxy board, so it's invincible. I could just throw it in the street and it would just have paint chips on it. It's just invincible. So I went and I bought three more. I found them on Craigslist. I have four, that's my whole quiver. I have four that boards <laughs> that are exactly the same. Because I don't want to spend any mental energy deciding which board and then having the emotional, um, there's a theory, it, it has to do with um, the more choices you have, the less happier you'll be with your choice, mm -hmm. right? This has been studied over and over again. I can, I can present to you three jams and you could sample each one and then go, oh, that one's the best and take it. If I had Savvy sample 10 jams, containers of jam, you're going to walk away and not buy any of them because now the, you have nine, uh, uh, units of potential regret of decisions that weren't made versus one that you made. And that's just a psychological thing. None of us can get around it. The more choices you have, the less happy you will be with your choice. So I've intentionally narrowed my life and put as many things on auto, autopilot as possible so I can re have, just be comfortable with like almost everything I'm, I'm like, yeah, this is the right, this is the right board because it's the only yeah. board, right? This is the right wetsuit. It's my only wetsuit. This is my only car. This is my only, right? And I do that intentionally. Yeah, and it simplifies. Uh, because I don't, sure. I don't, I just, I, I want a simplified life. And so when I heard what it would take to maintain an eye after radiation, it sounded like a nightmare because I'm already going to get scans every three months for the foreseeable future. So that's going to, I'm going to Stanford four times a year. I can't imagine also getting monthly shots of Avastin in my eye and waking up with, oh, I'm pain. And now I'm sort of blind, but now I'm totally blind today. Oh, my vision kind of came back and now I got a cataract and the tissue's been destroyed and, you know, I have dry eye and because I, I read everyone on the forum and now I, I know the forums are, uh, are, are, uh, a very small slice because they're both going to be a lot of extreme cases and also people that like yeah. to share. So it's, it's a self-selecting yeah, group. Sure. However, you can see these patterns and the pattern is big messed up tumor with detached retina and all this stuff big problems yeah, for sure. and I just couldn't imagine taking on that burden because I was back surfing in six weeks I was lifting weights at four so this is ancient history I'm done my eye doesn't hurt I feel great I just have scans to deal with the rest of my life and I'm like that for me yeah that's, that feels good the, the yeah for, for somebody else might go well that's a bad trade-off I would rather because the what they value is different than what I value. We have both different goals and what makes us comfortable and happy. So that's because a, that's I've, a good point. I've listened to a lot of people, I've listened to a lot of people who said, yeah, you know, I got cataracts, but I got the surgery. I have glaucoma and I have to take these drops and get monthly shots and stuff, but I'm really happy. Oh, and I, and I can't hardly see, but I'm really happy I kept my eye. So something that I would consider a huge loss and a big mistake 
to them, it's a huge win because different goals, different personality, things, things like that. So for me, yeah, not having to deal with that is, is just amazing. It's like a big I just weight can't imagine off, it being sure. any other way. Weight off my shoulder. I'm, I don't even, other than just, you can't stop thinking Well, yeah, about because it. when you're blind on one side of your face, you, you don't stop being aware of that. Right. But, but other than that, I don't, I don't go, ah, or I'm not having my eye treated or looked at. It's never going to be dilated again. Plus, that is a plus. <laughs> yeah, they're not gonna, let's put some, let's dilate this. Let's dilate your prosthetic. Like, Oops. Yeah, your pupil's not moving. Something's wrong. Oops. Yep. Better Oops. tell a new eye doctor so, uh, that in the future. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, from my point of view, I, you know what? This is how I see my role in this whole thing, in this community, is like everyone is an example for their unique situation. And what people do is they pick and choose very quickly on who's like them right away. And so I'm my goal is to be one of the reasons I participate. One, I just find this fun and interesting and um, but also it's like, I want to present a positive example for people who are wired like me to go, Oh yeah, I totally get it. I want this eye out of my head and I just want to get back to mountain bike. Yeah. And for them, I could present a role model, uh, uh, an avenue to the future. They can see themselves in me in the future. Like I'll be like that. Somebody else might go, that's not, that's not for me. That's just crazy talk. And they gravitate towards somebody else who has a completely different perspective and what they consider a success. And that is their role model. Right. And so we all, we all, we're all, we're all, yeah, it's great. I, I love the diversity because, uh, sometimes I feel a little like odd man out just because, I am so positive and I've just had like this crazy best case scenario situation from beginning to end. And just cause how I'm wired, sometimes I almost feel a little part of me goes, am I being too positive? It right. I'm like, am I rubbing it in, in the group? Because, because there's a lot of heavy stories. Yeah. Right. And then I'm like making a funny video about how well my eye moves. And part of me is like, I, I'm like, I hope this is taken in, in this, this is just joy. I'm just feeling joyful, right? And I'm showing like, hey, life can go on once you have your eye removed, right? I'm saying it's, it's okay. And, and I've heard it and seen it. And, in and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, make, I'm not making a yeah. dig. And part of me though worries like I'm, I'm in some way might be interpreted as like I'm dismissing somebody else who's actually struggling and that's not my intent at all i'm just a really happy person and i like to do goofy stuff and i like to have fun with you're it. wired for and humor being... and joy and and those are the things that, that that you value and they're the things that you kind of give off in your energy and that was i mean that's something that i was attracted to as far as your story goes um because i'm 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 someone who maybe is a little bit more vulnerable with the heavy stuff but i also am fully willing to embrace and and be in the moment of laughing and being silly and just like making a joke about my eye like and and at the end of the day like 
everybody handle everybody handles cancer so differently and you know we're we're the ones who get to make jokes if we want to make a joke we're we are the group of the people who get to I make get, a joke right and, and, and I, I can joke about my eye. i have that like, right you know what i mean so like i don't i, I mean yeah i can't speak for everyone but i personally have never come across any of your stuff just and felt like oh he's too positive i can't handle him i just feel like you make me laugh and and in the heavy days Good. That's what, that's what I need. That's, you know, on the, on the days that it's heavy, like that's what I need. I need a laugh. And so I feel like the group can be so diverse in the sense that it can allow space for people to be validated and just to be heard. Right. But it also, you know, the group, social media, like the platforms that we have to connect with each other, they're also a way just to laugh and to, to just be present. And, and I think that it's important to notice that like the way that you're living you're you're choosing very consciously to refuse to give this cancer any more time in your life than it deserves. Yes. It gets it gets scans and you get follow-ups for your prosthetic and other than that like your refusal to give it the energy I think speaks volumes about the type of of life that you lead, the quality of life that you have right now. And and like you said that might not be for everybody, but if it is a, an example that people feel drawn to, I think that they can learn from that example and that they could, you know, apply some of the things that, that you shared throughout your story, um, the choices that you made, the mindsets that you have adopted, and just the way that you think. Um, I think that's how we learn. We learn from other shared experiences and everyone's shared experience is different and valid, valid and valued. Um, so uh, I did want to just touch on really fast before we end. You have scans. Um, Every three months, like I do, class two, we get to do the yeah. three month thing. Um, have you had have you have you had any follow up scans since your treatment yet, or are those yet to come? I had I had scans right before my treatment, which was in February, right? February twenty second, uh-huh. I think the week before. Okay. And that's when Ruthie and Jaya said, "I'm not worried about your scans; they'll yeah. be fine." I'm like, "What about this fifty percent thing?" He goes, oh, that's over the lifetime. It's like that's, that's like over like a super long time. I, I'm like, oh, they don't tell yeah. you that on yeah, the internet at all. Right. They don't specify that the vast majority, overwhelming majority, will have no Mets at time of diagnosis. It might happen six minutes later, but at the moment, it's like, oh, that's great. And then, uh, yeah, so I'm seeing. I got a busy week. Wednesday, get my dentist appointment. <laughs> got to take care of those teeth. He's never seen me yet. He's never seen. He's never yeah. seen this. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna have fun with it because if they ask me how it happened, I, I'm gonna tell them. My my doctor asked me if, have you ever had that purple flavored polishing? <laughs> I mean that grape flavored polishing done on the teeth. And I'll say I have. I just want to see it for a second. Go <laughs> lawsuit. <laughs> so, but anyway, self deprecating so, jokes. <laughs> so uh, I didn't think we were just. It's really funny, and so. Um, I, uh, I see him and then three hours later, I'm in, in Stanford to see my, I'm, so I have Dr. M, but I'm also going to have, uh, an oncologist specialist in Mm -hmm. Mets. Yeah. A uveal, particularly melanoma melanoma specialist. Yes. So he's going to be responsible for the scanning schedule and reading the things and reporting back to Dr. M. That's on Wednesday as well. So my and guess is you're going to be Thursday, coming up in May for scans, right? I'm sure they're going to schedule yeah. them right away because I'm due. So, and then um, 
And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I go to Oakland three times to see uh, Steve Young to get my prosthetic eye. Oh, yeah, you're like right at that and point. That's so exciting. Sa Saturday, I come home with my new eye. It's going to be really interesting. You know, we're, we're talking about, you know, not giving the cancer any any uh, more time than, than it deserves. It, yeah, than I than have, have to. to. It deserves, but part of that is also like if I thought I could manipulate the outcomes of my cancer, I'd be totally into it. But I'm not. I'm I'm not a cancer specialist. I can't control any of this. So boring, right? It's just I have no interest in it. I just like I can't. I'm just I'm like a leaf in the wind. And wherever the wound takes me, it takes me because I can't control this cancer at all out of my control. However, what can I control and what can I learn and what can I direct? Learning to live with one eye, testing my limits, getting my prosthetic, learning how to take it in and out, studying my eye. All these are action items that I can direct, control, and participate in. But I can't really participate in my cancer it's a separate thing that's operating on its own. There's no, there's no mechanisms for me to control the outcome. I'll deal with it when it happens. So to me, that really was the dividing line. What can I control? What's interesting? Anything I can control and direct and participate in, really interesting. Things that I can't control, direct, or participate in, throw it aside. I'm just, I'm not really interested in anything that I can't have an active role yeah. in. So that was the, that was a division. That was a dividing line for me. I'm like, well, I can't control this. So forget that. That's ancient history. What can I do? Ooh, the eye and prosthetic. I'm very, I'm very excited just on the technical aspects of it. Um, not really because I miss it. Actually, I'm really comfortable with my socket. I, I just go, it's just how I live. I, don't really give it a second thought. Nobody even really knows. I well, had... but like the mechanics Strangers of like, don't how does this know. work? What is it? What is it going to look like? How are they going to make it? Yes. Match my other eye, like all of this. See, I find that more interesting because the prosthetic is not solving an emotional need for mm -hmm. me at all. I'm fine. I don't ever have to have one. I can just go my whole life like this. It's no big deal. Um, but I find the whole idea of a fake eye that moves, that's hand painted to match this one it just delights my brain i'm just like "Ooh, this is this is neat. i mean just like it's just sounds so interesting and of course i'm gonna take it in and out in and out you know show all my friends show and tell i know how the first month's gonna be it's gonna be in and out in all and right out. we're gonna need and, a video uh, of that and uh please share and i will put it on our tiktok <laughs> oh yeah I, I i i i have to and then i have my whole youtube series planned out that I, you know, that's part of the reason I bought some light kits and things like that, because I'm going to do, there's no one, st one stop shop for the ocular melanoma experience from diagnosis to treatment to living with one eye and getting your prosthetic. There's lots of people have touched on pieces of it, but no one's just said, so I got, I've been saving photos, I've got my props, I'm already planning ahead, and I'm just going to do it in one big shot, um, because that was aggravating for me, 
how's my eye healing? Good luck trying to find information on the progression of healing after nucleation. There's almost no information at all. Tons of videos on people having their eye removed. Tons of videos of people getting a prosthetic. And then there's this, this chasm in between. It's like, that never gets discussed. I'm like, this well, is I think it's really important weird. to just note um, that the reason for that is probably because it is, it's probably related to the emotional attachment to the eye. And that when you have your eye taken out and then you're waiting for your prosthetic, the in-between, getting to that place of acceptance, I think is super, I think it's probably just, well, I imagine there's a spectrum of people. Some people maybe never get to that place of acceptance until they have their prosthetic. And maybe other people do get to the acceptance, but they don't have right. the purpose maybe behind what they're experiencing and that, that drive to share it with others. Um, and so they just move on with life. Like, and I, and I, and I say this like, like if you, if you didn't have that kind of part of you that wanted to make this accessible to others, I think you would probably be one of those people who would just be like, okay, back to life. Let's go. Um, but because you have that desire to share, like I'm excited for that YouTube channel series. Like if I end up having my own eye enucleated, I would want to watch that because like you said, I, I find it, I find it so frustrating sometimes just seeing like you have your eye treated however you have it treated and then it's like oh a year later here's my eye and it's like well what happened in between oh i was i was too self-conscious to take pictures or i couldn't handle it or i was in too much pain or i just didn't really care and so i didn't but like that that documentation i think will be really really valuable for people so keep us posted on that as that you know kind of comes to fruition and as you continue through your journey um and also, like, good luck on your scans yeah. coming up in May. I have, I also have scans in May, so we're going to be timing around the same time. Um, All right, we'll be scan yeah, twins. scan buddies. Yeah I, 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 yeah, I would certainly like to not start the whole pro start some kind of treatment protocol no, right now. Sure. I'd like to have a little bit of a breather. Um, so we'll see. I'm just, two years would be fine. I, that feels right. Well, and, I mean, I think it's, you know, like you said, just taking it in baby steps. You know, take it. Take it a few weeks at yeah. a time. Take it a month at a time. Take it a yeah. year at a time. You're you're really fresh in this diagnosis. Like it's so fresh, um, and yeah, it is. It's it, but I mean, I admire really like I admire where you're at mentally, emotionally, and just how how you've been able to kind of ride. I, I hate to be cliche, but to ride the waves of this diagnosis, um, because that's really what you've done. Is you've you've ridden the highs and the lows so far, and and I have full confidence you'll continue to do that. Um, oh yeah, I'm gonna be fine. Well, I'll be fine regardless. Even if I die five years from now, I'll be fine in, until that time. And I like, right? I I'm like not going to be happy about it. I'm when not going to be like fine. It it literally sounds like the meaning of the word fine. It's not. It's not like a how are you doing? I'm fine. Just as a I'm I'm not trying to dismiss or. Um, I feel like most of the time when people say I'm fine, it's because they're trying to avoid saying what they're really feeling. And I feel like when you say I'm fine. It's because you genuinely feel like I'm good, <laughs> like I'm okay. Um, yeah, and it could take some convincing. I don't know if we have time. I'm gonna bring this up really quick, but you've heard of compassion fatigue, right? And it's always applied to saying, "Oh, people can only give so much. They've saved the whales. They've saved this. They saved this." They... Compassion fatigue. It could come towards you, and. I've been really fortunate. The outpouring of love and support I've gone from all the Facebook groups I'm involved in and on the street and, and in my town has just been overwhelming. It's just been in, in, incredible. And, um, but 
I'm also doing really well simultaneously, right? I don't need a lot of coddling. So there were times when I had to tell people, it's like, I'm fine. And can you please just stop asking me if I'm fine? Because this is the fourth, are you okay? How you doing? I've gotten today. And so I know I'm fine and I'm doing good and I'm happy. But if three, four people in a row go, how you doing? You okay? It starts to, you start to think like, am I really okay? <laughs> am I delusional? Am I delusional? Am I just, am I pretending I'm happy? Yeah. It'd be like, it'd be like if you had a car and, and everyone goes, Hey, how's your car doing? How's your, I think it's fine. It's driving right now. Ooh, how's your car doing? The next person goes, Ooh, how's your car doing? It's okay. One time. Are you sure it's okay? <laughs> yeah. So pretty soon you're like thinking like, is my car okay? So it was like, I had to tell him, I said, okay, is this actually working against me? Because all you're doing is reminding me I have eye cancer and undermining my, how I feel. And I do genuinely feel good. And I really am doing fine. You but just need a shirt. asking me you this. You shirt that says, I'm fine. Yeah. Don't ask me how I'm doing today. If I'm not, I'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. I have no problem telling people I'm sad. I'm not happy. I'm like a toddler. I am so one dimensional. <laughs> I mean, there's like, I'm like, I'm sad. I'm happy. I'm like, I'm like a total toddler. I wear everything on. Everything is here. There's no layers to peel back. There's nothing to discover. If you know me for an hour, you've probably known me for a lifetime. It's just how it is. So it's like, I'm fine. Stop asking me. I literally had to tell several people, please stop. I'm being smothered by your compassion. And it's making me feel worse and actually a little angry. Well, and I don't communicating, know how to describe why I'd be angry at communicating somebody. Communicating that is important. Yeah, I told like, them. And that's, I think that's good to yeah, know to like, or just... And they totally to got it. That they, they totally got it. They're like, because I think sometimes yeah. we all have felt that at some point, because especially at the beginning of your diagnosis, those first six months to a year, that is the general question. How are you doing? And I, I think my, yes. my, probably my pet peeve is people saying, how's your eye doing? And I'm like, my eye is fine. <laughs> it's the rest of me that I have potential worries about, but my eye is fine. <laughs> like, so, but like, it's, it, it's just this kind yes. of how much energy am I going to put toward explaining this each time? Or am I just going to say, yeah. I don't want to talk about this today, thanks. And I think that's that's an important part of just learning through this kind of a diagnosis, through a cancer diagnosis, that you have the power to set boundaries and that only yes. you can set them and only you can decide when you need to kind of raise them up, so to speak. Um, but yeah. Everyone should do that. You have to, you have to, you have to just, and it either comes with just being on a Facebook group or doing research. If it's feeling wrong, if it's overwhelming, stop. Come back to it on your own just terms. Just have those have Somebody's that personal power you, of yeah. like recognizing that you are in control of what you do with the information and how you allow you know yeah. people people space in your life, so to speak. So, well, and tell people and tell some people what yeah. you need. Like well, like shortly after my diagnosis, I called up one of my good friends. We have lunch from time to time. He says, I, I just asked him. I said, Hey, can you take me out to lunch? I know he's going to pay. So <laughs> like, I will take lunch. I just like, I just needed, I just needed it. Right. And I said, yeah, he took me out to my favorite place and we had a great talk and he took, paid the bill. I just asked him, I said, can you take me out to lunch? I'm not, I'm not ashamed to ask him what, what I need right like, I need now. A friend and I've also today. tell you, 
yeah, and if you're being too compassionate, I'll tell you, dial it back. I don't need, I don't, there's too much love right yeah, now. Just exactly. treat me normal. Well, make fun Clay, of me. I have loved our time together. Right. This has been great. And I just, I know that like for anyone listening later to the recorded version on the I Believe podcast, like I know like there's so many good takeaways to take away from Clay's story. Um, and his story is continuing to be lived. So, you know, we may need to do another update in a year and just see like, how are you doing? How, and, and also check in. I would, I would love to see that, that YouTube series and to be able to promote that and help help share that with the world because I think that will be a big asset to the community um, to have someone fully document the journey of diagnosis, treatment, nucleation, and then, you know, the healing and the prosthetic. Um, so I'm excited to see like the, just to see the waves that you make um, with everything. Um, and I'm also just excited to continue seeing, you know, how you, how you confront everything that comes your way. So here's to clear scans in May and all the fun things. And I don't know how the surfing is in the summer, but I hope that it goes great. Um, and I guess, you know, just to wrap up, is there, is there maybe one over overarching theme of something that you would just want people to take away from your story? Um, just to kind of close out. Um, yes. And that is invest your time on what you can do that's in your control. That will make you feel really good. Secondly, if you're planning on getting your eye taken out, practice now. You don't wait. The healing is no fun and you don't wanna like be destabilized. So treat it like a project. It's a gift in a way. A lot of people have an accident and they're just blind the next day. No warning. We all get a warning. So use that to your advantage to take control of the situation and prepare yourself and go for the easy wins. Hey, I poured a glass of water. Great. Endorphins go up, right? So know the difference between what you can control and what you can't and invest in what you can and then practice ahead of time if you're going to have your eye removed. I can't recommend it enough. It'll, it'll help so much. Awesome. Well, Clay, I am so glad that we got to do this today. And just thank you again for your time. Thank you to all of us over, all of you guys over on Facebook who tuned in live. Um, we had various different people popping in, popping in and out. Um, so just stay tuned for the recording. This will be coming later in May, uh, possibly beginning of June, depending on our recording. I need to look at the schedule. But it will be coming in the next few months or the next few weeks. Um, and Clay, keep us posted on how, how the prosthetic goes this weekend. I hope it goes great. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so I'm fun. I'm excited. It. I'm excited for you. I'm de I'll definitely be posting about it. All right. It. Well, let's say goodbye to everybody, and we're going to end the live stream. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe podcast, brought to you by Castle Biosciences and produced by Agora Media. Please be sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. If you have a moment, leave us a brief review or consider making a donation to the links in the show notes to keep our podcast going. Feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Acure Insight. We'll see you next time on the I Believe podcast.